Welcome into episode 23 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton here with you tonight along with Lester Mitchell, special guest Landon Beeman joining us again. Um, you know, since we last did the podcast, Alabama's played three basketball games, won two of them. Uh, one of the wins, you know, they, they played great, beat LSU 78 to 60 last Wednesday on February 3rd. And then, um, you know, Tuesday night beating South Carolina on the road, 81-78, you know, most people are going to say a win is a win, which is, you know, fair. But uh, Alabama's still not playing quite at the standard that they were whenever they started SEC play. Um, sandwiched in between those two wins is a loss Saturday at 11 a.m. again on the road against a ranked team in Missouri, losing 68-65. to I think Alabama was down 22 points at one time during that game. But, you know, winning two out of the last three um, – Lester, tell me what you think about this stretch since we've last recorded. Uh, well, from this stretch, I think that we have seen uh, all iterations of the Alabama basketball team thus far. Um, a pretty big win against LSU, won by 18 points, a loss to Missouri by three, and recently against South Carolina uh, last night, grinded it out in a three-point victory. Um, a good stretch. Um, based on the fan base, things out here they expect this team not to lose at all, which is which is not going to happen in basketball. It's it's hard to dominate day in and day out. But I was really impressed with the game against South Carolina because they found a way of, they have they found a way to win the game by three points. Come hell or high water, they left that place with a W, and and I, I like it. I like it. The Missouri game was. Look, look, until Bruner comes back, when we face a team with bigs, especially two competent bigs, and Missouri had the white guy who's a big come off the bench, look, Alabama is going to struggle against those teams. That is going to happen. It should be expected. Um, Miss State, Kentucky, similar situations, although Alabama got a win. But when Alabama faces a big team, this is what's going to happen. But overall, personally, I am impressed. I'm impressed thus far. Yeah, uh, South Carolina, kind of a, a streaky team. Um, you know, uh, the midweek game last week, they beat Florida at home. Florida's ranked 22nd um, in the country at that time. And then Saturday, they play Mississippi State, who's average. You can say maybe slightly above average. Um, they're, they're nothing special. And then, I mean, they beat South Carolina by almost 20. Um and so, you know, you really didn't know coming into this game which South Carolina team you were going to get. I believe South Carolina shot like 47% from the field. Um, so they gave Alabama all they wanted. Landon, what have you seen, not just in the last three games, but kind of over this stretch, ever since Alabama played Mississippi State on that Saturday, you know, you got the Kentucky game and then the Oklahoma game. Just what have you seen uh, in this stretch from Alabama where they haven't been getting the offensive production that they had that they had gotten in the first seven or eight games of the SEC schedule? Well, the biggest thing I've noticed is with the absence of Bruner ever since he went down in that Kentucky game, we just had, we've been playing all these longer teams like Mississippi State, like Kentucky again at home, and like South Carolina last night, and then Missouri – that have really tried to play where they play tight along the perimeter. And then they basically kind of leave leave the inside open. But the problem we're having is we don't have that guy that we can drop it down low to like a backdoor cut and tell him, hey, man, go get a bucket for me. Go get a bucket under the rim. I mean, 
against Missouri, we were 11 of 23 on layup attempts and stuff like that. That's been really concerning for me without Jordan Bruner. And I believe when we get him back, it's going to be a major, major factor for us because these teams can no longer try to just push up on the line because we'll have somebody down there to make you pay, pay them. Yeah, not necessarily because, I mean, Bruner, he, he can play in the post, but, you know, it's just the threat of him being, you know, on, on the outside as well. He was shooting the ball really well before he got hurt and, um, you know, shot it real well against Auburn, you know, really probably was a huge factor in that, in that Auburn win, um, during the, during the stretch that they had. Um, and, you know, yeah, now he's down and, and teams are just, they're, they're just, they're letting Alex Reese and James Rojas shoot the ball. They're, they're zero threat from outside. They're not going to shoot any better than 30% from deep. And so they're just saying, you know, if that's how you're going to beat us, we'll let you because we know you're not going to beat us that way. Those two guys are not going to beat you. Um, expect, you know, they're not going to beat you shooting the ball from the outside. But, um, I, I think another reason is, uh, is the fact that, Alabama, you know, we, we've talked about it before. I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, Landon, but <clears throat> we, uh, Alabama just lacks that guy that can just get to the bucket whenever he wants to. You know, when they had Colin Sexton, if the shot clock was running down or whatever, he can turn it into a one-on-one game and get to the rack. And he could either get fouled or he could finish, whatever it was. Kyra Lewis was the same way. Um, whenever we needed a, a bucket, it was him just going to the hole. And uh, and it seems like Alabama does not have that guy right now. Uh, Javon Quinterly, we've talked about how he does a lot of dribbling. He doesn't really seem – he seems like he kind of lacks the acceleration to in the, the explosiveness, the first step explosiveness to really get by people. Um, seems like he does a lot of dribbling but really doesn't go anywhere, and that usually leads to a turnover. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then the other one's Herb Jones, and Herb Jones did it. In the first six, seven games of the SEC schedule, now he's so beat up, he can't do it anymore. And so that's really hurting Alabama. Let's go ahead and jump into that um, because that's the, the elephant in the room that everybody wants us to address is 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 Herb Jones. I mean, you, everybody that watched that game Tuesday can see how limited he is. And Landon, do, do you think this is a good idea to shut him down for a while? I absolutely think it's a great idea to shut him down for a while. I mean, I know, I know everybody always harps on, especially, you know, the Bama Twitter fans that are, man, Herb Jones plays so hard. He plays such great effort. And he does. He plays hard as hell and he plays with great effort. I don't think anyone's ever disputed Herb Jones plays with no effort. But the problem Herb Jones has right now is we need his great effort and his, and what we had in him before this injury. We need that in the SEC tournament and we need that in the NCAA tournament. And right now, the way Alabama's schedule is shaping out is we're fortunate enough that when Herb Jones was healthy, we beat the top half of the SEC. The only top team we didn't beat was Missouri, unfortunately. Other than that, we've cleaned house in the SEC, and these last games we have, they're against kind of the bottom feeders. And if I'm going to lose, and Alabama's got we're what, 11-1 and in the SEC, we can afford to lose. A, if we had to lose a game just because Herb Jones didn't play, this is why you start out good. So you can afford little things like this just to get a player healthy for you. That way down the road, you can be better off. I would rather that happen than Herb Jones go out and hurt himself worse trying to play Vanderbilt next Saturday or something like that. It's just, I mean, he played against South Carolina and he had three points and four turnovers. You had more turnovers than points. 
you're, I mean, and he's getting a lot more fouls now. I don't know if people's noticed that. Herb is getting in a lot more foul trouble now because it's like he's lost a step of quickness with that back injury. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't shoot like he was doing anymore because trying to pull up probably strains his back and everything. So he's hurting us now more than helping us. Yeah, and, and not just with his play on the court, but it's the overall team's future as, as a whole, and that's what you're talking about. And Lester, I'll slide it over to you, man. You called this weeks ago, and you were the first one to call it. And you know, when you first did it, I was like, eh, you know, let's let's get through LSU and let's get through Missouri. And then see how he does. And he's just obviously not gotten any better. He's getting worse um, physically the more he plays. And we keep seeing these tweets about, you know, we're going to watch him at shoot around. We'll see how he feels, whatever. Herb Jones, I mean, Lester said it multiple times. He's not going to sit himself down. He's just, he's not made that way. He's not built that way. He's, this is his senior year. He's probably not going to play in the NBA. If he does, he'll be a bench guy, maybe. 10, 15 minutes off the bat. I mean, he's not – I mean, don't get me wrong. You can make a great living that way. But, I mean, this is – I'm not going to say the last meaningful basketball he'll ever play because, I mean, he could go overseas or whatever. But, I mean, you know, this is a this is a school that he's been at for four years. He's gone through two or three coaching changes. Um, this is the best shot that his team has. And so, of course, he's going to go out there and lay it on the line for his teammates – and uh, but Lester, you called this weeks ago, man. You said Herb needs to sit down. Um, and I mean, how much are you ready to back that up? And how much you know does it need to be said? And does it how much does it need to be recognized by Nate Oates and the and the training staff? Yep, I said it, and I will continue to say it. Um, sit him. Screw it. It's the end of the regular season, like Landon mentioned earlier. We are playing the bottom feeders. Look, if we can't beat the remaining teams on our schedule without her, then maybe this team isn't this good. A good Mark basketball team is depth, guys that you can have to step up and make an impact when, you know, whether somebody's rest or when somebody's hurt. We need guys like Quinterly and Ellis and Gary. Hopefully he'll be okay. He won't be out long. But we need those guys to get Herb's reps because when you go into SEC, the tournament, and the NCAA tournament, that, that's what's going to have to happen. Those guys are going to have to play. Why not sit her, get those guys the experience or the further further playing time that they need so they can be better contributors later on down the road? I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I said at this point, I do not care about the rest of the regular season. Um, the SEC tournament really isn't important to me, but I want this team peaking going into the NCAA tournament. That is what the that's what the goal is, right? If if, yeah. if, if I'm if I'm if that's not the goal, then let me know and I can completely change my tune <laughs> on this. But the goal is to advance as far as possible into the SEC tournament. So hurt needs to sit. Um, I was really really glad um, after the game to see Cecil Hurt emphasize that himself and um in his post game tweets he always tweets good insights and stuff post game. He said himself, sit hurt for a week. Do it. Why not? Um, the guy is hurting. He look. I I held my breath. Her fail. I guess it was after a, an attempted layup. He fell and hit the floor, and it looked like he was just in pain. Like it just it. It's not like he. And another thing, he's the hardest faller I've ever heard in my life. When her falls to the floor, you know it. 
immediate is loud. It's not like Shaq. Shaq will dive, slide ten feet. It don't matter. But when her falls, it's like he's going to the Earth's crust. And it's not good. It's not like he's the biggest body guy out there. He he he's got to sit. I love I I love watching her play. I've loved watching him play since he got to Bama. I love what he brings to the team. But the coaching staff and Herb himself need to see that for the betterment of the team, not for the betterment of Herb, but for the betterment of the team, he's got to sit, get rested up, and get as healthy as possible. With the back injury or whatever, That ain't he's probably going to deal with that to the end of the season, and that's what the staff and um, that's what the medical guys are probably telling Oates, that it's not going to go away. But at the same time, if you can help it a little bit, do that. Do that. Yeah, and, and I mean it is for the betterment of Herb too, not just for the team. I mean it's it's for his health as well because you know if there's any NBA scouts that are watching him that might like him as a as a lockdown guy, or, you know, draft him in the second round or you know claim him off, you know, just wh- whatever the case is, um, sign him to a G League contract, whatever it is. Um, if they're watching him right now, he's not helping himself. So it's going to better Herb, too, if he sits these next three games. And, Landon, like you said, man, you want the team as healthy as possible heading into that SEC tournament. So you, you take a peek at the schedule. You've got Georgia on Saturday. Then you've got Texas A&M. And then you've got Vanderbilt two Saturdays from now. I mean, I think Georgia's seventh right now in the SEC. Texas A&M's 13th. And Vandy is dead last. Um and so you sit him for three games. That way he does not have to play a basketball game until February 24th against Arkansas. That's two full weeks of rehabbing, rest, whatever he has to do. And that's two full weeks. That can help him tremendously. And then he's still got three regular season games to kind of get back in the groove and get back in the rhythm with the team. you got Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Auburn. And then you go into the SEC tournament. And, uh, and then, of course, into the NCAA tournament. And so not only that, but if you if you sit him until the 24th, then you're more than likely going to get Bruner back around that time as well. And so they get to find their rhythm together over those last three games. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you've got to look at the schedule and think that Alabama, even without Herb, even without Jawan Gary, um, without Bruner, they can win two out of three against Georgia, A&M, and Vandy, especially A&M and Vandy. They're just not good basketball teams. You know, you get Vandy at home, you have to go to A&M. But uh, Landon, what do you think with that timeline? I mean, do you think that if you were Nate Oaks, would you sit him for for those three games? And do you like that? Do you think that's a little too long? How long would you sit, Herb, if it was up to you? I would sit – I'd sit him this week against Georgia. I'd sit him against A&M on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday when we played them, and then I'd sit him against Vanderbilt too. I'd go I'd go ahead and just make him sit these next three games because, for one, you get the team – other players have to step up, especially with the apps of him. You get a guy like a, like a Darius Miles, for example. Get him some minutes in the game. What's it, what's it hurt to have Darius Miles come in when we play Georgia, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt in the absence of Herb Jones to get the man some experience? Or, hell, even a Keon Ambrose. What does it hurt? It hurts nothing. It can only help you. You know, you're just developing your players. It's called, I mean, it's just, it's, te- it's how you develop a team in basketball. And that's what we've done this year. We have a lot deeper team than last year. And, you know, it'd be one thing if Alabama was sitting here 10 and 8, like an Ole Miss 
that's five and six in the SEC, and we're fighting for a spot to even make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, if you're in the bubble, that completely changes. Yeah, we're in a damn good spot, though. We're in a spot that you can be flexible and sit a guy like Herb Jones and get him the rest he needs in order to be better off down the road. Yeah, the the SEC start that they have uh, now it's a, it's a luxury, uh, you know, like you're talking about. Now, yeah, they have the opportunity to do this and have minimal damage done to them, you know, regarding the uh, the NCAA tournament seating. I mean, because this is this these next three are just they're just too perfect. And it, I mean, even if something crazy happens in Georgia, Alabama loses to Georgia and Texas A and M. You could still bring him back against Vandy. If you really had to, if you really needed that win against Vandy, um, then, you know, you could always bring him back. And then he's still able to sit for, you know, 12 days or, you know, 10 days, whatever it is. Uh, I think any kind of rest right now, I mean, even if it's just a week, even if they just let him sit Saturday against Georgia, I mean, anything is helpful right now. And, um, you know, nobody knows his body better than Herb, but – Herb's more than likely going to lie and tell you that he's healthier than he really is um, because the kid wants to play. He, I mean, he's a dog. He, he's a fighter. He's a competitor. He wants to play. And if he can walk, he's going to play. But, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's obvious the guy has no explosion. He can't finish at the rim because he can't elevate. He can't rebound because he can't elevate. And like Landon said, that's turning into more fouls. I think he has like 14 fouls in the last three games or something like that. Um, and, and so, yeah, and, and not only is he hurting himself, um, whether it be draft stock or whatever, he's also hurting the team right now. So for the betterment of the team, and I mean, Landon, let me ask you, if, if he if he doesn't sit and say he gets to the Georgia game, has another lackluster performance where he's, Oh, out of five or one out of five from the field with two points, maybe a free throw or something like that. And then he gets hurt against Texas A&M on the road next week. Um, and then he's out for the season. And then, yes, you do get Bruner back, but say you win two games in the SEC tournament and then you get put out in the round of 32 in the, in the, in the big tournament. How much, if any, how, how much how much flat do you think Nate Oates would get? You know, by by the 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 Gump Twitter, whatever they call themselves. Um, we all know they love Nate Oates, but do you think that would raise some eyebrows as, as to like you know why didn't this guy sit? Because everybody's saying sit him, and so if Oates doesn't listen and he just he he listens to Herb and Herb's like yeah I'm good to go, and then he hurts himself and puts himself out for the season, and it costs Alabama a deep tournament run. How much? You know how much criticism would Nate Oates get? I think he. I th- I think with with Herb though, the problem that you're going to have is that if that were to happen, the problem is you're going to have Gump Twitter that saying, "Man, that's the type of player Herb is. That's why I just love him. He's just that's what he just means means to us and all that stuff." That's probably be what they would say if that scenario right there were to happen. And, and that's true. I mean, that is true. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but it's the fact that. If everybody can see it right now, if everybody can watch this kid play, and they're not they're not in the training room with him, they're not in his rehab, they're not breaking down the game film. They can just watch the game and be like, "Man, there's something off about this guy," and it's not minor. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was minor a week and a half ago. It's not minor anymore. Now it's become a major problem when you lose explosiveness and you lose vertical, and you are counted on as the main guy to get to the rack. That's a big problem. 
Yeah, he's and essentially what's happening is he's becoming more of a liability now. And this, you know, Missouri goes zero of two from the free throw line. Uh, you know, South Carolina three points, four turnovers. I mean, it's just it's starting to get to where he's playing, but now he's just he's hurting, hurting us. You know, and I think when you see that, you gotta sit, you gotta sit him for his benefit and for the team's benefit. Lester, right now, um, I don't think it's crazy to say that Alabama is not an Elite Eight team, maybe not even a Sweet 16 team with as banged up as Herb is and with no Bruner. But outside of that, you know, and Grant, you know, they, they did score 85 points or 85. They, they did score 81 points against South Carolina. So, I mean, that's pretty good offensive production. But over the last couple of weeks, the offensive production hasn't been great for Alabama. What's something that you would change going forward in the game Saturday against Georgia, if anything? They, they've got to get the ball moving a lot more. Um, I'm going to say it again. Bruner is such a huge piece for this team just by being on the floor. And with him being out, it, it, it allows the opposing team to do a couple things different than they would normally do. But they've got to get the ball moving more, move the ball around, pass the ball around. There were there was two instances. I thought Nick, I, not Nick Saban. I thought Nate Oates was about to come bust on the sideline late, late, late against Missouri. I think two there were two possessions real, real late in the in a row where the guy brought the ball up court, passed the ball. That guy dribbled, 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 and shot the ball. Awful shot. And that happened twice in a row, and I'm watching Oates, and he is just livid on the sideline. And why why is that happening? Pass the ball, move the ball around. Earlier, when this team was dominating and winning by 15, 20 points, just some of the most beautiful ball movement you have ever seen, getting wide open shots, like, that, that matters. If you're just going to stand there and dribble, then chunk up a shot, well, the defense is there, is waiting on you. You've got to dribble drop. You've got to move the ball around. You've got to play smarter basketball. And I think that, you know, this team is still learning. I think Oates is still learning. But they've, they've, they've got to run some sets, run some plays. And you can see it where they try here and there to mix a couple of things in. But ball movement has – Almost quit in some instances, and it's, it's it's weird to see because you can see it happening. Why are you not passing the ball? Why are you not rotating? Why are guys just standing around? So that that's got to stop if this team is going to try to make a deep run. That's that's re- that's really really got to stop because you you can just see it. You, you can just tell what's going on. They're not moving the ball around. Yeah, and you know it seems like even if you don't have a bunch of offensive plays it seems like most teams have an offensive set and it's just a main base like you know like in in football Nick Saban his base set is a 3-4 defense now a lot of the time that's just nickel you know it's four down linemen two linebackers and 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 the DBs and but you know his base set is a 3-4 you know um and a lot of college coaches, they'll run a base set of man-to-man, but then they'll throw in some zone or whatever. But, you know, most most teams have a base offensive set that, you know, if they're a man-to-man, let's just – if we don't if, – if I don't call a play from the sidelines, just run this. 
You know what I'm saying? They have a main play. It might just be a motion, you know, some of this pick and roll or whatever. And, um, and I, you know, I think with Alabama, what you have right now with Herb not being able to get to the rim, um, and Quinterly just doing a lot of dribbling and having a lot of turnovers, um, he's shooting better from the outside. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think with, when you don't have a lot of slashers that are effective, and you can't really count on the dribble drive because they're not leaving guys. Like if you can't go by somebody, other defenders are not going to come off on you when you get into the paint because you still have somebody in front of you. You still have to shoot over somebody, and it might be a two or three footer, but it's still a contested shot. And um, so it, it, it makes it difficult to run a dribble drive offense, which is what Alabama seems to be running a lot of the times. But um, Landon, often <laughs> you know I've asked. I've asked all our guests as they come on the show, um, and I'm going to ask you as well, just to get your opinion on it. Alabama's not used to being ranked this high. You know, they're 11 right now. Um, and, and so do you think it's fair to criticize this team, you know, because you, you see, going back to the Nate Oates thing, you see a lot of people on Twitter that are going to die on his heel, and that's fine. And, you know, we all know he's a good coach. We all know he, he's been a good coach ever since he was at Romulus High School in Michigan. He was a really good coach at Buffalo. He upset DeAndre Ayton in Arizona in the NCAA tournament. And uh, and so he has he has a good system with, with the fast break and the transition and, and the three-point shots and the analytics and all that. But do you think it's fair to criticize Nate Oates and this Alabama basketball team, even though they're not used to being ranked this high? Absolutely, I think it's fair. I mean, look, I mean, I, Nate Oates is a great Nate Oates is a great coach to me. I I like Nate Oates a whole lot better than I like Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson. I assure you. I mean, but that also doesn't mean Nate Oates is perfect. I mean, he does make he does have some faults and some make some errors. I mean, he's he's a human human nature. So I, if you if people criticize him, I don't think it's a terrible thing that they criticize Nate Oates because I mean. You know, there's some things that I watch us in the game, like like I see Quinterly come up, coming up the floor. I don't know who told Javon Quinterly he's Kyrie Irving, but he is not. Uh, I swear, I watch this man come up the floor, and he just stops at the at the logo. He takes three steps back, does a crossover in between his legs, and he tries to drive to the basket and looks like a fool every, almost every time. And it's like Nate Oates doesn't say anything about it. And I don't understand why that is a thing. You know why? Why are we? Why are we doing that? Why aren't we moving the ball around the court, trying to set up a backdoor cut for an easy shot? Why are we trying to play ISO ball out here with a point guard that can't even go past his first man? I mean, little things like that. I want to know with our coach what are, what are we, what are we got going on here. And so, like, I'm just saying that he has some he has some issues. I don't like Alabama's half court offense. I don't. I'm not, I'm not a fan of our half court offense lately under him, and I want to get it fixed. That's not a, you know, that doesn't mean Nate Oates is a terrible coach. That means he has a problem and he needs to get it fixed. It's called just being a fan and just having eyes and stating the truth. Yeah, it's it's a self assessment that he needs to do. Really, I mean, that's all it is. You know, I mean, you watch film on everybody else, but you know, when, when you watch film of the team, you're like, okay, we're not really doing too much on offense in the half court set. We can't really rely on you know, streaky play from outside um, because it hasn't been terribly consistent from beyond the arc. 
um, unless it's the right guy shooting it. But, um, it, you know, it's – to me, you know, like in the South Carolina game, a, a good example is it was in the first half. I, I don't remember how much time was on and, – and I texted the Gump Runners group in all caps, and Lester probably remembers this. We we threw the ball to the right wing, and we just did a simple backdoor screen to Reese on the block, like from block to block. And we threw it to him, and there was nobody around him. It was an uncontested layup, and he laid it in. And I'm yeah, like, I know exactly what, what in the about. hell was that? And then you didn't run that play the rest of the game. Why? That's what that's what's so confusing to me. And I know Lester remembers it. I'm like, I, you know, there are some some different words in there, but I basically say, holy crap, was that a uh, was that a backdoor screen on the block for an uncontested layup? And for some reason we just we just didn't run it anymore. And I'm like, man, at least try something. I mean, it's not that hard to put in a half court offense when you have this much time to spend with the players. And um like I said a couple of weeks ago, I said this isn't high school where you get them for an hour and a half after school when they're mentally tired from doing algebra all day, and you know they don't want to be there because you know they got to get home and call their girlfriend or whatever. They're tired. They didn't get a lot of sleep. Whatever. I mean, this is college. These guys are fresh. I mean, this is they're trying to get to the next level. They're motivated, most of them anyway. And so, I mean, you've got a lot of time to spend with these kids, and it's year it's year round. You know, they're not playing any other sports for the most part. Um, and, and so, I don't think there's any excuse to not have a base half court set, and then to have at least, I mean, gosh, even if they had four or five plays. But it seems like, like I said before, a lot of our offense is trying to get Herb switched off a screen onto a smaller guy and let him get on that right that right short corner and kind of post up, you, you know what I'm saying, and kind of create off of that. And um, I just think it's very bland. It, it's it's very vanilla. Um, and, and I really would like to see. I'm just like you. I, I agree with what you said about about the uh, the half court set. But Landon, is there anything else that you would change to the offense other than other than uh, the half court set that you might think that we're struggling with uh, over these last five or six games now? Yeah, there's two things I would say. The first thing, I would love to not see Jaden Shackelford drive into the paint and put up these lazy Tony Parker-looking floaters or whatever you call that. That's what I was looking for. Yep. Go go up strong. Like, man, if you're going to drive, go up strong. Don't just throw something up there because I, I texted you or Lester this during the game. I swear Alabama has to lead the country and drive to the basket and no foul call. It's like the opposing team just plays phenomenal defense. But to be honest with you, it's because our guys, when they go up, they don't go up strong. They throw, they just throw it up there. They don't go up with some, you know, some force. And so that would be one thing. The number two thing I would change, we got to get Josh Primo going. Josh Primo has got to shoot the basketball. And against South Carolina, he 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 did his credit. I think he took ten shot attempts, made had twelve points, which was phenomenal considering against Missouri he took, he didn't take a single shot. And I think against Kentucky in the second half, I think he took one shot. So I and I know he's a freshman and all that, but the guys eat up with talent. I mean, man, let it fly. I would much rather see Josh Primo go zero of twelve, letting it fly than to watch James Rojas attempt to shoot a three and it take him 10 years to get the shot developed. 
I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, if you if you're oh, gonna yeah. miss, let the shooter miss. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's the fact that and the, what I was gonna say, and I'll just add to that. It's it's knowing your role and and having a basketball IQ. You can ask Lester. I preached that so much on Tuesday night when when I was watching that game. It just seems like guys just don't have any IQ with the basketball. And, and, and what that means is I understand that the scheme that you have as a team is to fast break and score buckets in transition. But you've got to know your numbers. I know these guys can count. They're in college. And so Shackelford, whenever he's at half court and he's got two guys at the three-point line or whatever, that's more than you have. You know, if, if you're in the Army and you have 100 soldiers, you're not going to go start a fight with a – with, a, with an army of a thousand soldiers, are you? I mean, if you have, if they have more numbers than you, you're at a disadvantage. And so Shaq, what he does is he absorbs the contact into the body and then throws up these wild shots, and the second guy just cleans house. I mean, just swats the shit out of it. And, uh, and so then that happens way too many times. It happened with Herb a couple of times. And, you know, and, and I think that's because the athleticism really isn't there with Shaq. Um, now look, you do that with Keon Ellis, you, you're gonna get dunked on. But, and that's the difference. You know what I'm saying? He, I mean, Keon Ellis is a guy that'll go up and throw it down in your face. And, um, I think Petty will too, whenever he gets that opportunity. But for me, <clears throat> the, the thing that I would change within the offense that I've seen is everybody has to know their role. You have to know what kind of basketball player you are. This is very important because if I'm a shooter, if I shoot 40 to 45% from deep and, I look at my stats, and they and they're charting turnovers for me. And if I get into the paint ten times in a game, and I have three or four turnovers in there, I'm I'm going to be reluctant to go in there because I don't handle it well in traffic. And I think we have some guys on the team that aren't necessarily ball handlers. They're they're shoot they're shot first guys, and I think that includes Josh Primo. I think it's Primo, Petty's a big one, and Shaq's a big one. Now. You had games like LSU where Shaq was just throwing up all kind of trash and everything was falling. Then we had 52 points in the paint that game, and that's great. But the consistency is not there. And so you have to look at your stats and look at your game and say, what am I consistently doing better than the others? And that's what I need to attack with. And, you know, like Herb, he's a a, a well-improved three-point shooter. But he knows that's not his game. He knows that he doesn't need to be shooting six or seven threes a game. You see what I'm saying? And so he knows that his game is getting to the bucket. That's what he worked on in the offseason, and that's what he's you know, done almost to perfection this year before he's playing at 50, before he was playing at 50%. Now, you know, John Petty, I had somebody try to start an argue, argument with me on Twitter, some guy that doesn't even follow me. He must have searched John Petty's name, but I tweeted something about – why is John Petty pump faking these open threes and trying to drive to the basket? And he just couldn't understand why I would tweet something like that. And I had to explain to him, hey, buddy, listen, this guy is a three-point shooter. He did not get recruited to come be a slasher. He was recruited to shoot the three-point shot. You see, I mean, everybody understand what I'm saying. And so whenever you try to – I mean, I get – the all season is the time to work on that. Not not an SEC play later on the year. And, and John Petty, he will go to the rack, and he will finish and make some plays, but he's a hell of a lot better three-point shooter than he is doing all this other stuff. And he also plays well in the post, I think. 
Uh, he got an and one out of the out of a, out of a post up formation um, on Tuesday against South Carolina. But whenever he puts the ball on the floor and he tries to drive in traffic, seems like the ball gets a little high on him and he'll end up turning the ball over a lot. Whereas you know, even if you've got a guy closing out on you, you're John Petty. You've got a lot of confidence in your shot. You. And so, you know, the guy's, you know, he's jumping out towards you. You're jumping straight up. You're going to be higher than him. You've got a high release. You release it at the top right corner of your head. You see what I'm saying, Len? And, and that's what that's what I kind of – I've been thinking that's that's a little bit of the issue is that Shackelford's not a slasher. Petty's not a slasher. You know, you've got guys that are trying to play outside of their comfort zone, and I think it's hurting the offense. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I mean, like my thing with John Petty is I've always said spot up shooter, spot up shooter, shot creating spot up shooter. And like, I don't mind it when Petty's on the perimeter and he does a dribble left, dribble right, and he hits a fadeaway shot creating shot and he makes a three. He, he made two of those against South Carolina. Yeah, that's his you know, game. I, yeah, I don't mind that. That because that, that makes sense. What I have a problem with is John Petty crossover left, crossover right, tries to go past his man to the rack and the ball's like you said, like somehow goes high on him, it hits off his knee, hits off the other player's knee, and it's a turnover. And you're and because he's not a ball handler, he's he's not a he's not he's trying to like be like ISO petty, and he's not. He he's a shot creating sharpshooter. That's what he is, and that's his game, and he needs to stick to it. I mean, man, let it fly, let it fly. I I mean, I'd rather see him like I said about Primo. I would rather see them go 0 of 12, letting it fly, than to go 5 of 13, driving to the hole. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I mean, I'd, I'd rather, I would rather stuff. see that. I mean, you know, it's yeah, not like getting, they're, I mean, they're getting, getting swatted. Small. Yeah, they're not even close with these layups. Yeah, I mean, just getting, just getting completely thrown. Yeah, and so yeah, I, and I and I'm in the same boat. I mean, if you're going to miss shots because you're shooting shots that you like to take, I'm okay with that. I, I can I can lose like that, and I talked to Lester about that before. Um, if you're John Petty and you're going to take ten threes and you hit two of them, man, it's a bad shooting night. I mean, it is what it is. I, I had them when I played. Everybody that's a shoot a shoot first guy, a long range shooter, Steph Curry has them. Um, but then, you know, you can also find a hot streak. Everybody watches Steph Curry, what he's done the last week. Oh, my gosh. The guy's averaging like 38 a game, and that's because he's hot right now. Now, there will be a couple of games down the stretch – not down the stretch, but, you know, maybe in a month or two where he might shoot four out of 20 from the arc over a couple of games. Um, but he's going to keep shooting, and he's going to be a, an outside guy first. And if, if they want to come out and guard him, DC. I, honestly, I wouldn't mind John Petty stepping back and extending his range, um, because we haven't really seen that. You know, he he shoots step backs and fadeaways and stuff. They're usually pretty close. You know, six inches are in from the from the three point line. I wouldn't mind seeing him step back and extending the range two or three feet, because if you can knock it down like that, you can shoot it two or three feet further. And and I know they practice that. And, um, you know, actually, same thing with Shackelford. I know, I mean, Quinterly does it. He shoots it from 25 feet. So I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with you going in the, going in the lane. And it's worse when you pump fake. <laughs> I mean, if, if you pump fake and the guy flies by you, it works. But here's the thing. If a guy, cause John Petty has done this multiple times. If Petty pump fakes a guy and gets him off his feet, all he's going to do is step to the side and shoot a three. Is he not? So. 
you know, it's when he pump fakes and the guy doesn't bite and then he tries to go to the rack. Just get rid of the ball and just continue to move the ball around and, and, and run the offense, whatever offense they're, they're in. And uh, so, Lester, what, what, I mean, what's your opinion on it? Like I said, I know I was texting y'all and, you know, kind of got into it on, on Twitter with a guy that I don't know. And I was trying to make him explain, like, you know, it's that's just not what John Petty needs to be doing. You know, if if he he's going to help us around the art more than he is in the paint. Now I'm not once again I'm not saying that he's incapable of making plays off the dribble in the paint because he has and he's got a little stop floater that's really good from about four or five feet that he shoots a lot and I like that shot. But it seems like the turnovers are piling up for. Shaq, Petty, and and really Q once they get into traffic in the lane. Yeah, I, ho- I hope I don't sound um, contradictory when I say this, but both of you all, both of you guys, have hit on it. And to bring the point home, play play confident basketball. Play confident basketball and trust your skills. There, there's. There's too many times, too many times where the guy they they've ran, they've executed good transition offense, they've got down, somebody's got to the corner, pass, and there's an open shot and they pump fake it. Why? Why? Don't pump fake it. Be confident. Shoot it. That is an instance where the ball doesn't have to move around. That's an instance where you're not looking to make the extra pass. That is an instance where you need to go up with your eye on the bucket and drain it, man. All this pump faking the open shots, all yeah. this it's, it's 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 not I don't I don't it's not conducive to smart basketball. Don't do that. Don't look for your teammate then. If you got an open shot, shoot it and nobody's gonna be mad at you. Don't be I afraid mean, to it, miss. I mean I, I don't I don't get it. At the worst, you know, they, they swat it out of bounds, and then all that does is help you. You still got the ball. You can drop an out-of-bounds play, and then the next time, you know if you pump fake, they're flying. You know, so all it does is help you. I mean, if you get blocked, so what? Like, I mean, make them prove to you that they can get a hand on it. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, man, absolutely. They The shots are open. They want the open shots, but they don't want to shoot it. It's weird. I don't get it. Play confident ball. Look, against LSU, against Tennessee, against some of these against Kentucky early in the season, when somebody had an open shot, they were shooting it and draining that damn ball. And recently on this little skid or whatever's going on, that stopped along with all the other ball movement, along with everything else that has made you successful. When you have the open shot, you've got to shoot the ball. Primo, Petty, I don't ever want to see Primo go – over in a game again. I don't want to ever see him go one shot in a game again. That shit never, ever, ever happened. That's on the Oats to a degree. Draw some plays for him. I mean, the kid is hella talented. He's a freshman, and when the guy gets in the hot streak, look out. He will continue to drain it. So, Lester, you know, at, at what, at what point in the season? Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think Oats is still learning and I think he's still adjusting to how things go in the SEC going into year two. Now, year three, these things aren't going to be acceptable. But year two, you know, they're, they're going to get better. They're going to learn how to adjust and how to do in these situations. You, you know, what, what I was going to ask is at, at what point 
are you not a freshman anymore? And that's the thing, you know, kind of like in football, how, you know, once we got to the SEC championship game, Malachi Moore got toasted, right? And everybody's like, oh, he's a freshman. I'm like, this dude's played 10 games. I mean, how long do you use that excuse? I mean, you played 21 basketball games, and Primo's played in all of them. You know, he's only been starting for whatever, 10 or 12, however many it is. It took him a while to get into the starting lineup, but he definitely got minutes in, in, in all the games that, you know, all the games this season. So, uh, at what point do you stop using that excuse? You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that he is, um, I don't think it's just a, it's, I think it's more of a mindset, you know, by him being a freshman, you know, although he's hella talented, I'm sure maybe sometimes when he has a cold streak, he feels like he has to defer to other teammates. So yeah, I feel like and it, feel it doesn't like help that you have four that. seniors. You know, it doesn't help that you have four seniors. You know what I'm right. saying? If this, if right. this, if the oldest guy on this team is a junior, and maybe you had one senior, you know, he might he might look at that. There. But I see what you're saying about how the passiveness could come over him where, you know, if he misses a couple in a row and maybe he rushed a shot and maybe he was contested or whatever, you know, we're all watching like, man, shoot that again, you know. And But maybe maybe that's not the case on on the team. You really don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, you got you, all your seniors are contributors. You know what I'm saying? You know, you get you got Petty and Herb who are, you know, they they play a majority of the minutes. And so, uh, yeah, maybe that does have something to do with it. That's a good point. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, and that's coaching. Oates has got to continue to put that confidence, continue to speak that confidence in his ear to his young guy. Because that, that was two games in a row. What was it? It was Missouri and uh, Kentucky before where he – just didn't want to shoot the ball. That that can't happen ever, ever yeah, again. Yeah, in the in the in the second half against Oklahoma, he didn't attempt a shot, and then he attempted one in the second half against Kentucky, and that was a a rushed three, I believe. And then yeah, against Missouri, he didn't shoot the whole game. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's that blows my mind. It's basically two game, two full games of basketball where he shot the ball one time, <laughs> which is is right. pretty freaking crazy considering that the talent insane. that he had. Yeah, and maybe it is on the seniors too. They need to be like, look, man, shoot it, young fella. I mean, you know, you got just a, just as good of a chance, if not better, than than we do. And I know he's got a hell of a lot better chance he does than Shaq driving in, ducking, you know, ducking that shoulder or whatever. Whenever I see Shaq in transition and he gets the ball and he puts that head down, I'm like, oh crap, here we go. Because it's like he doesn't, he gets tunnel vision. He doesn't see anybody else on the floor, and he's gonna go try to put his shoulder into a guy and throw some. I think Landon called it a Tony Parker layup shot or whatever. And oh, just, yeah, the old Tony yeah, Parker just floater. Throwing it up and let's pray it hits off the backboard or whatever. But, um, Landon, I want to ask you this real quick. Um, it's not controversial because it worked, but that play, Alabama's up three towards the end of the game. And, they, you know, South Carolina calls timeout, and Alabama decides, or NATO decides, they're going to run a, a five-out zone and just give them the layup, and then take a risk on making free throws. And I think there's like four, just over four seconds left, just under five seconds, something like that. And it did work out. So we can say, you know, a lot of people are saying it was genius. Do you? Is that something that you would have done? Well, in that situation, with South Carolina, whether being what I, I think it was like one point eight two seconds left on the clock. Um, the only thing that sucked about that scenario, in my opinion, was 
when we inbounded the ball after we gave up the two points, we had to give the ball to James Rojas. And to his credit, he came through. (laughs) That was my next question. I mean, Petty got the ball out so fast. And I'm like, the thing is, you you had a timeout. You didn't have to, and he just sees Rojas over there and fight. First of all, he threw it under under the goal, which is hella risky because he threw it from mm-hmm. right to left, and he threw it up under the goal, which is crazy risky. You got to put that ball on a dime, and he threw it to the worst free throw shooter on the team. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah that, that was my thing on it. Like, God, yeah. the worst guy on the team. And I mean, like I said, to his credit, he made it, but yeah. also. He would have missed both of them, and we're up by one, one still. I don't think South Carolina had a timeout. They would have had to inbound the ball and obviously put up a crazy-ass shot to right. you know, win, win the game. So if you're banking on that, I understand because, let's be honest, the chances of that happening would have been kind of slim. I mean, so – I get it from that standpoint. So I know I know Frank Martin was very upset about it because he wanted he did not want his guy taking that two point shot. He wanted that three point shot. He wanted him to pass it out, whatever he had to do. But he ended up taking the two pointer. I mean, because it, obviously it was right there. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and yeah, they didn't have a timeout, and that's probably why Oates went with that is because they couldn't really set anything up. Um, I'm I'm actually surprised that they waited for the inbounds to foul. Um, because yeah, once they you know, they, they ended up fouling Rojas with 1.8 seconds left, but you know, you could have, you could have kept on a half a second or so if he'd have just fouled before the ball was thrown in. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, you, you actually don't see that too much, but, uh, cause I know you're trying to get a steal or, or whatever. You really just never know in that situation. But, um, yeah, you know, Le- Lester, what do you, what do you think about that? Were you playing Call of Duty by then or did you actually watch the end of the game? <laughs> so I watched the end of the game. Um, <laughs> Just ballsy. Ballsy. Um, a lot of people, they were fired up with criticisms or whatever for the team, but they got it done. Come hill of high water, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust James Rojas to carry my, carry a carton of eggs up the stairs golly, for me. Yeah. But golly, um, dude, that dude, he grew a pair and he sunk those, uh, field goals, some of those free throws, so. I, mean, I think I would have rather had Juwan Gary with a busted shoulder. Shooting free throws and James Rojas. I mean, you know, just the game before against Missouri, he got fouled on the three pointer, <laughs> missed all three free throws. I mean, this guy's was like a 52% free throw shooter, but, uh, yeah. And, and you know, th- there's a lot of stuff you can do in that situation. You can, you can try to push them out and, and do what Nate Oates did and just give up the two, or you can play just regular defense and force them to shoot some kind of, you know, fall away three, but they, you know, they can always bank that in. Um, you can foul, put them at the line and make them, you know, Miss the first and then get the you know have to or make the first and then have to miss the second on purpose. There's just there's a lot of stuff you can do, and so I mean I don't disagree what Nato's did, and the reason I like it is because he was he was putting his trust in his players, and I think that's good. But I, I guarantee you, if if you gave Nate Oates a couple of whiskey shots and you got him a little loose and you got him behind closed doors and say, Coach, did you want that ball to go to James Rojas? When you're up one with two seconds left, he would have been like, hell no. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, um, I think the inbounds is kind of crazy, but I think the overall, um, plan, you know, I, I think it was fine. I just wanted to get you guys' opinion on it. Um, Landon, anything else you want to add to this basket, whether it's, you know, in the future, um, 
you know, where you think this team can do in the tournament or, you know, we'll probably probably get you on. You're more you're one of our more uh, knowledgeable basketball followers, I guess. And we have we have a couple of guys that we've had on the show that are more football based, Uh, not necessarily Fogs. I'm not going to go that far because they do watch basketball games. They just don't really break it down in depth like you do. And you do it very well. And, you know, Evan Wright's a good a good basketball guy. We had him on last week. And uh, so, yeah, we'll probably try to get you on again. But uh, anything you want to add about, you know, the season up to this point or, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Uh, well, you know, one one good thing about last night's game against South Carolina, despite the narrow victories, we did hold them, according to Ken Palm, the, to their third worst points per possession of the season, which was great, in my opinion, for despite us having the injuries we have, our defense seems to still be playing well. I mean, I know we lost to Missouri. We still held them the three of 20 from the three-point line. I mean, you know, we had some there. So there are some bright spots, you know. Uh, don't want to make this all sound like it's negativity. It's just, you know, obviously we're not perfect. And I think that uh, as long as Alabama can get healthy and stay healthy, Alabama can make the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. I think we can. I think we can definitely win the SEC tournament, assuming we can get healthy. But you yeah, know, it's just it's just all gonna. We're at the we're at the get better. I mean, we can't be playing like we are right now. I assure you, we have to get better, and we have to get back to the way we we're playing. And I think if we do, I think we're gonna have a very very good year as we already are having. And I think we'll have good success and uh, and good for uh, Alabama basketball in the future. Yeah, and you know, like I said earlier, I think right now this team is you know round of thirty two. Um, especially if Herb continues to get to worsen himself. Um, but I think if you, if you sit him and you get him back, even if it's man, even if it's 80, 90%, I think that'd be plenty. Um, because he gets that confidence back. He feels better when he wakes up. He can walk around without limping. I mean, I, I think that just changes his whole mindset, um, mentally, which is, I think it's a big, a, a big portion of it. And, uh, then you get Bruner back and you start playing basketball like you did when you started SEC play. Absolutely, I think they can get to the Elite Eight, maybe even a Final Four. I mean, as long as you don't have to play Baylor or Gonzaga. It seems like right now it's Gonzaga, Baylor, and then everybody else. I mean, Villanova has shown that they can be beaten. Um, Michigan, you know, you got a bunch of good teams in the Big Ten. Ohio State, Iowa, you know, those teams can can be beaten. Um, even though, I mean, they are good teams, but I think Alabama can could beat them if they were to get hot and, you know, if they're playing their best basketball. But I think that's a, that's a big thing. If you go into that tournament and you're semi-healthy, about as healthy as you can be, then, uh, then yeah, I, I really like their chances. Um, Wes, there anything to add before we get out of here? Carl Scott leaves, uh, defensive bats coach at Alabama. I guess we can throw some football in there. You know, I haven't really seen, yeah. of course, you know, everybody's going to have their list of names to replace him. Uh, but it's all speculation right now. And thing is, I, I, I appreciate Carl Scott waiting until after signing day. Uh, because now, you know, Saban's not really in any rush. It's a dead period right now. Uh, you know, he's, he's not in any rush to hire somebody. So I think he did it right. I agree. I agree. Well, what was one of the, those names? Uh, Kareem Jackson, possibly to, I mean, not Kareem Jackson, but uh, Roman Harper, possibly to replace him. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But as far as basketball goes, play with confidence, shoot with confidence, and continue to play great defense. And that'll be a recipe for success every time. And that's all I got. Yes, sir. Next week we get to talk a little Alabama baseball. Um, Alabama starting its uh, its baseball season against McNeese State, February nineteenth, three p.m. 
I know our buddy Bill is uh, pretty pissed off about that. Uh, he's a big baseball guy. We'll have to get him. We'll try to get him on here. Um, he's a he's a little shy. So we'll say, Lester, have we had Bill on here? Did we get him on here before? Yeah, yeah, we got him on here. Okay. Before. Yeah. Okay. Screw, that, yes, screw so. that. Screw that. Three o'clock uh, <laughs> first pitch. That's insane. I'm, yeah. Yeah, screw but, uh, you know, no, good thing we're talking about before we started recording here tonight that uh, for Alabama fans that are interested in, in basketball and baseball, um, on Saturday, February 20th, you have Vanderbilt at home at noon, and then uh, baseball starts at 2 o'clock. So you can walk out of Coleman Coliseum, walk down the steps, and walk right into the Joe. Um, I think it's limited capacity. I think they're going to do the same thing, maybe 20%, 30%, something like that, which is probably around – 1500 fans i can't remember exactly what it was i think i think the joe holds 8500 including student including students um so 20 percent of that would be 1700 i just did it on my calculator so 1700 2000 fans are going to let in um so yeah everybody go out support your baseball team people forget alabama baseball started 16 and 1 last year they're they're white hot and uh they're you know so you know hopefully you know, their, their pitching can hold up, and uh, they can hit some balls over the wall. Um, but uh, anyway, Landon, we appreciate you joining us. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Episode 23, Gump Runners Podcast. We'll see you all next week.